Thank you, Tony, and the worship team. Man, this is uh, a fun place to uh, worship in song, worship in word, worship in prayer. And uh, I love how the theme of our worship songs are so theological and they fit right into what we've been studying uh, this whole summer. So really appreciate you guys on the worship team leading our hearts towards the Lord. Uh, good morning, everybody. Y'all okay? All right, a few of you. That's good. Uh, I hope all of you are okay. Uh, and if you're not, I have good news today. In Christ, we can be okay. So uh, uh, we're going to have a good time this morning. Um, my name is J.B. Selectman. I have the, the privilege and the honor of being one of the elders here at, at Harvest. And it's uh, just been such a blessing over the last year and a half in my life. And I've learned so much from these men that I get to run with and so much from many of you. And so I want to welcome you. Uh, to our church, and uh, welcome if you're a member, and for those of you who are visiting with us, welcome as well. We're, we're truly glad you're here. And if you are here today for the first time, um, it's kind of cool. We're on the last Sunday of a four-part series, and as Kenan mentioned in his introduction this morning, we have been talking about one term specifically, one concept, one doctrine specifically over the last three weeks, and today number four, and it's the word justification. Amen. And we've defined justification, and, and we have said that justified means you are declared righteous in the eyes of God. Isn't that good news? You're, it doesn't necessarily mean you're made righteous, or you are righteous, right? You're, we're not righteous yet, but if you are in Christ, if you have been justified by faith, it means when God sees you, He sees you covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, declared righteous. Isn't that good news? And I have had so much fun listening to these messages and diving into the book of Romans. Man, it is so rich. And so the introduction to this was Romans chapter 3. And you remember we talked about being justified by what? Faith. That we are justified by faith. When we see Christ on the cross and we put our faith, our hope, and our trust in Christ on the cross, Romans 3 said we are redeemed by His blood. Do you remember that? Redeemed means... Christ paid the penalty for our sin, that he bought us out of slavery. The price out of slavery was paid by his blood, and we were brought from slave to free, from death to life. Isn't that good news? And then it got even better than that, that it says right after that, not only were you redeemed, but, but Jesus was a propitiation for your sin. Do you remember that? And that, that's a, a big word, but it simply means that the wrath of God was satisfied that, that Jesus was the satisfactory substitutionary death. Isn't that good news? That the, the wrath of God, that's why Paul could say in Romans 8, therefore there is now no what? Condemnation for those who are in Christ because the wrath had been satisfied. Amen? And then we saw, uh, uh, two weeks ago with Steve, Paul started thinking about, let me give these guys an example. And so we went back to the Old Testament, Exhibit A to Abraham. And remember, how was Abraham justified? Was Abraham justified by works? No. Was he justified by ceremonial religious activities? No. He was justified by what? Faith. And so we see from Genesis to Revelation, the way you come into right standing with God the Father is through faith. Amen? 
And then it got even better last week. So it just keeps building and building and building. It got even better last week that we said, not only are we redeemed, not only has God's wrath been satisfied, and, and just like Abraham, we are justified by faith, but because of Jesus and being justified by his blood, we can have peace with God. Isn't that good news? We can have peace with God. And there were two warring parties. There was God the Father and we were enemies. But through Christ we were reconciled or brought back together. And we can never, ever, ever lose that salvation or that justification once we are in Christ. Isn't that good news? Amen? And so last week, just, just one verse just to bridge us into this week was Romans 5, 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The assurance of salvation because of justification, because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. Good news, right? That's why it's called the gospel. Well, guess what? It gets even better this week. You know, like it's good news, and it's good. And I thought about this. Last year, my wife and I just celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary, and we had a blast. But last year, we went on a date one night in the city, and we went to a restaurant, and it was the best meal and best date I have ever been on because we sat down and the atmosphere was perfect. I was like, man, this is nice. This is good. And then he brought the appetizer and it was really good. And then the salad was good and the meal was good. And I said, this can't get any better. And the dessert and the coffee were good. And then a little band came out and played while we had dessert. That's good, isn't it? And I thought about that. I was like, that's how this is. It's like everything we just keep getting taught and taught and taught is good and good and good. But it gets so much better this week. Are you ready? Now, in, in, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the text, but I am going to pray. And then we're going to launch into Romans 5, 12 through 21. And we're going to complete our study on the doctrine of justification. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, would you bless our time today? Lord, these are eternal truths that are so significant, they're so weighty, they're so glorious, that unless you shine your light on them, we cannot fully understand them. Father, this is truly good news, Lord. And we're going to talk today about some serious issues. We're actually going to talk about some bad news today, Father. And, and the bad news is trumped or triumphed or abounded by the good news. And I pray that if there's anyone here today who does not know you, that they will come to know you and be justified by faith, Father. May Jesus be magnified in this service above anything else. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. You guys there? Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Now, I just said in my prayer, and I just said in the introduction, that we've had good news and good news and good news, and we're going to end with great news. But, but before Paul takes you to the, to the end here, he stops and takes a pause. And he, and he pauses and takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And he talks about this idea of imputation. Now, I've got to give a little theological definition here, so don't, don't let this, you know, kind of stay with this, but it's actually really important, this concept of imputation. Now, this word imputation has been mentioned so far in every sermon in this series, imputation. And the Bible speaks of imputation in three ways. I want you to get these down, okay? Number one, the Bible speaks of the sin of Adam in the Garden of Eden being imputed to all of mankind. The Bible speaks of the sin of Adam in the Garden of Eden being imputed to all of mankind. Now, what does that mean? The word imputation, get this, means to attribute or to reckon 
or to ascribe something to someone else. I'm going to say that again. The word impute means to attribute, to reckon, or to ascribe something to someone else. So how many of you have children in college? Some of you. So when the kid calls, the young, the young lady, the young man calls, and they say, Mom and Dad, I'm broke. I need some cash. What are they asking for? They're asking for your imputed finances. Amen? Can they spell imputation? Probably not. Do they know what imputation means? Probably not. But what they're asking is, can you take some of your money and attribute it, ascribe it, or reckon it to me? That's what imputation means. And so the Bible speaks of Adam's imputation, that when Adam sinned, his sin was imputed to all of humanity. And so we, we say the phrase, we are born in Adam. Are you familiar with that concept? We are born in Adam because when Adam sinned, I sinned. And we're going to see that today in Romans 5.12. Okay? That's imputation number one. The Bible also speaks of imputation number two, and that's where the sin of mankind was imputed to Jesus Christ on the cross. That's right. Amen. The Bible speaks that the sin of man was imputed to Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's really the whole thesis of the book of Romans is that you've got this holy, righteous, just, and wrathful God. And then you've got sinners like me and you whose Adam's sin was imputed to us because we are born in Adam. And the question is, how can a loving, righteous, holy God be in the presence of sinners without compromising His righteousness and His holiness? The thesis, so what will God do? And the question is, he will send his perfect son to die in my place and for my sin and in your place and for your sin so that my sin and your sin was imputed to Jesus Christ on the cross. Does that make sense? And we sing about that. We sing, and on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Why? For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. Amen? My sin and your sin imputed to Christ on the cross. And the third one, which we're going to get to today then, is the righteousness of Christ. This is the good news. The righteousness of Christ then imputed to all those who believe. So three types of imputation. To attribute to ascribe or to reckon something to someone else where that someone else then becomes involved in what that person was imputating them. Isn't it amazing? Now, that's the, that's the, that's the theology lesson, so we'll now move into the text. So you guys with me? Romans 5.12, back to the Garden of Eden. Paul says, after he talked about being secure in Christ, after he talked about the wrath of God being satisfied, in Romans 5.12 he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, sin came... So he takes you back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve had the option, all this you can have, but do not eat of the fruit, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely what? Die. And Adam and Eve did not obey God. They violated a positive law of God and they sinned. The Bible talks about that as the fall of mankind, right? And, and Romans 5 here says, at that time, sin entered into the world through how many men? One man. One man's action was imputed to all of humanity. That's what the Bible teaches. Sin entered the world through one man and what was the consequence of that sin? 
death. In the day of you eat of it, you shall surely die. So sin into the world through one man and death through sin. Do you guys see that? And, and, and Paul's talking here about physical and spiritual death. That when God told Adam and Eve, you shall surely die, he meant physically and spiritually. And, and some of you have dealt with that physical death over the last year or so. And it, and it, and it hurts. And we've seen you grieve. And we've seen that, that, yes, death, physical death has spread to all men. But also the Bible talks about spiritual death. That when we are born, we are spiritually separated from God the Father. Physical and spiritual death. So sin into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. Listen to this. So death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. And that sin there is past tense. He's talking about the sin of Adam. It's a one-time action that occurred in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve's sin that was imputed to all of mankind, those who are born in Adam. That's bad news, right? Welcome to harvest. Um, but it gets better. You, sometimes you have to tell people the bad news, right, before you tell them the good news. Like when you go to the doctor, the bad news is you're sick. The good news is I can fix you. So let's listen to this good news. Let's continue the thought. Look at verse 13. And we're talking about Adam's sin being imputed to all of humanity. For sin was indeed in the world before the law was given. Right? So some people point to the law and say, well, what about the law? The Mosaic law was not given until Exodus 20, but how, what about the sins between Adam and the law of Moses? But sin was indeed in the world before the law was given, but this is, sin is not counted where there is no law. Sin was not transgressed where there was no law. But between Adam and Moses, did we see sin on the earth? What about the flood? In the time of Noah? What about the wickedness at the time of the flood? What about the wickedness in Sodom and Gomorrah? What about the wickedness of Pharaoh and the hard-heartedness of Pharaoh? The Bible speaks that sin was there even though the law was not given. Listen to this, verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. So between Adam's violation of the law in Genesis 3 and the Mosaic law in Exodus 20, Paul says death reigned. Why? Because all of humanity is born in Adam. That's Paul's theological point that he's making in verses 12, 13, and 14. And so Dr. Libby is here. He was the guy that discipled me. And when I first started uh, walking with the Lord, I went to his house. I studied under this man for five years. And he, if he said it once, he said it 10,000 times. You need to know, Selectman, that there are two types of humanity. There are those who are, are born in Adam, which is all of us. And there are those who are in Christ, those who have been justified by his blood. And he taught me that every Weak, And Paul is screaming to the Romans here, if you are in Adam, death has spread to you because Adam's sin was imputed to you from the Garden of Eden. That's what Paul is screaming in verses 12, 13, and 14. Now, what he's going to do, verses 15 on, we're going to see seven verses. Seven verses, and he's going to compare Adam to Christ because he's just taken us back to the garden and taught us the bad news that we are born in Adam. So he's going to compare the actions of Adam to the act of obedience of Jesus Christ. And he actually called Adam here a type of Christ. That somehow Adam's imputation prefigured in the Old Testament something that Christ would fulfill in the New Testament. And so we're going to see the comparisons here of those who are born in Adam 
and those who are born in Christ. And it is a beautiful comparison that Paul makes over the next seven verses. But he starts not with their similarities. He starts with verse 15, 16, and 17 with their differences. So he's going to show us the difference between Adam's transgression and Jesus' free gift. Are you ready? Those born in Adam and those who are justified by faith who are now in Christ Jesus. Here it is. Paul says in verse 15, But the free gift is not like the trespass. The free gift of Jesus is not like the trespass. So he just talked to us about the trespass of Adam and how Adam's trespass meant that all of us were born under the penalty of sin. All of us were born condemned. When Adam sinned, I sinned. When Adam fell, I fell. But here Paul says the free gift is not like. So he's going to show us a contrast. Are you ready? The free gift is not like the trespass for if many died. Now here's what I want you to do in your notes. I want you to make two columns in your notes. One column I want you to label on the left, in Adam. And one column I want you to label on the right, in Christ. And we're going to go through and make a list of what happened in Adam and what happened in Christ. And so in verse 15, he said, Because of Adam's trespass, the many died. And again, this is talking about physical, spiritual death that is passed on to all mankind because of Adam. Because of one man's trespass, the many died. But listen to this, much more. I love it. When he speaks of Jesus, he doesn't speak of Jesus and Adam on the same plane. They're not equal. He says of Adam's sin, many died. But listen, much more, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Amen? One trespass brought death Much more, as my kids say, how much more better is the grace upon grace upon grace. He says that grace abounds. Yes, physical, spiritual death will occur in your life. But if you are justified by faith, if you see Jesus, his grace abounds. It overflows. How many of you know about his overflowing grace in your life? I do. I need it every day, moment by moment. It is much more better. The free gift of grace is not like the trespass because grace abounds. Amen? And grace is God's undeserved favor in my life, and it abounds. My friend Brian Loritz says that God is not the God of a second chance. He is the God of another chance. Amen? That where sin increased, grace abounds. So if we could put that up on the board, fellas, we've got Adam, death occurred, And in Jesus, the free gift is much more abounding grace. Amen? Let's continue the thought. Verse 16, and the free gift is not like. So again, he's contrasting Adam and Christ. The free gift is not like the result. So so in verse 15, we saw a contrast in degree. Death and the degree of grace is much better, is much better, is much better. Now we're going to see a contrast of consequences. Verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result. So what was the consequence or the result of that one man's sin? For the judgment following how many trespasses? One trespass, the judgment following one trespass brought what? Condemnation. So I said it a minute ago, because we are born in Adam, the Bible teaches that when Adam was condemned, I was condemned and you were condemned. So the one trespass brought condemnation. 
I love it. But the free gift following how many trespasses? Many. One trespass brought condemnation. But Paul says, but those who have had many trespasses and many trespasses, which is me and you, many and many trespasses, those who are in Christ have justification. The free gift following many trespasses brought justification where you can be declared righteous and innocent in front of a loving and holy God if you are in Christ Jesus justified by faith. Amen? So the free gift is better than the trespass. He goes on to say in verse 17, For if because of the one man's trespass, circle it, death reigned. So if you are in Adam, death reigns. And again, this is physical, spiritual death. That we will, are born separate from God. And if we die in Adam, if we die not being justified by faith in Christ, we will die eternally separate from God. In a place that the Bible calls spiritual death. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. But listen to this. Much more. It's like the, it's like the argument in 15. Much more grace. But much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Why and how? Through one man, Jesus Christ. Amen? So death reigns because of Adam, but because of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, Paul says those who are in Christ can reign in life. Isn't that good news? We can reign in life. And it's talking about the here and now. Those of us who are in Christ, we can reign in life now. We have communion with God through a mediator, Jesus Christ. Peace with God through Christ. And we can commune with each other in the Holy Spirit and have brother and sister fellowship now on earth. But he's talking about reigning in life now and forevermore. The Bible says into the ages of the ages of the ages. You will reign in eternal life if you are in Christ. Amen? It goes like this. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And those of us who have eternal life will just as we sing one day sit around the throne and sing worthy is the lamb that was slain into the ages of the ages of the ages. We will reign. Hallelujah. That's good news. Isn't this sweet? So in Adam, death occurred. Much more abounding grace. In Adam, we were born condemned. Much more, when we're justified by faith, we are declared righteous. In Adam, death reigned. Those who are in Christ, who have received the abundance of grace, can reign in life now through a relationship with God and each other and forevermore around the throne. And it, he keeps going. He's going to repeat what he said in verse 15, 16, in verse 18. Therefore... As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, again, leads to justification and life for all men. So he repeats it. He says, it's so important that I want you to know that Adam's sin was imputed to you and you were born condemned, but those of you who received the grace are justified. He's repeating himself over and over to make sure the believers get it. Justified. God sees me justified, never sinned because of Christ and his righteousness. That's what verse 18 says. Verse 19. For it, now it gets personal. 
I wrote in my notes under verse 19. Now he makes it personal. For as by one man's disobedience, again, Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So because of Adam's disobedience and his sin imputed on the human race, not only is that imputed sin, that I am guilty of sin, but it's also inherited sin, that we are born with a sin nature, right? So the Bible speaks of imputed sin and inherited sin. Imputed guilt and inherited sin nature. Because of Adam's disobedience, the Bible says the many were made sinners. But listen to this. So by one man's obedience, by one man's obedience, he came in the likeness of man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross When John the Baptist first saw him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Bible says he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And he went to the cross and he took all of our filth and all of our mess on his shoulders. We were redeemed by his blood. The wrath of God was satisfied. And Paul says in verse 19, So by one Man's obedience, Philippians says, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. By his obedience, we can be made righteous. And that, again, is a legal term. It's not a moral term. It's a legal term that you are acquitted in the courtroom of heaven. Now, I want to say something. and Some of you may have caught this, and I did when I was reading it. Um, If you look at 18 and 19... Some people claim that Paul is teaching universal condemnation, and he is. Because he says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness lead to justification in life for how many men? All men. Okay, look down at verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So you come across people that says that Paul here is teaching universal condemnation, which he is, but he's also teaching universal justification, which he's not. And so this, this concept is prevalent in our society today. You guys know it. You work with people. You go to college with people. People that say, you know, I just believe we're all children of God, and we just do the best we can, and that one day we'll stand before God, and he's a loving God, and so we'll all enter into heaven. How many of you have heard something like that in the last week? Most of you, or if you engage in spiritual conversations. It's prevalent that universal condemnation exists, but also that God will be just in saving everyone. Paul does not teach that, and we've got to know that, and we've got to be able to talk to people about this. I'm going to give you three reasons why Paul doesn't teach this quickly, and then we're going to end. Number one, the rest of the Bible talks about eternal separation from God. If you believe in universal justification, then you have to take out everything that the Bible says about the wrath and punishment of God eternally. Amen? So the Bible deals with the wrath of God and spiritual separation from God in concepts called punishment. And again, that's not something fun to talk about, but it's there and we've got to deal with it. So the rest of the Bible talks about those who are outside of Christ being eternally punished. Okay? The doctrine of hell. Number two, from Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 and Romans chapter 3 and 4 and 5... Paul has screamed one word over and over again, and all throughout his epistles, he talks about faith. That you are justified by faith, and you are saved by faith. 
and you receive Christ by faith. And so that means that people who do not have faith in Jesus are not saved. And people who do not have faith in Jesus are not justified, right? So the whole point of Romans 1 through 5 is there is a problem. God can fix it to those who are justified or saved by faith. You understand? So the Bible teaches punishment, and the Bible teaches that those who are justified are justified by faith. And then there's one word that we skipped over in verse 17. I want you to look at it with me. Look back up at chapter 5, verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who what? Say it with me. Come on. Receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of Jesus. So he's not talking that all those, every man, the many or all men are justified. He's saying only those who receive grace. Amen? And so we look at God and His holiness and His majesty and we look at ourselves and our problems and our sin and we do what a beggar does. We take a knee, we open our hands and we say, I receive the gift of Christ. Amen? The free gift. You don't achieve justification. You don't achieve justification. You receive the free gift and then become justified. Um, one of my favorite movies, favorite stories is uh, Les Mis. And uh, some of you guys have seen it. Um, one time I was watching it and Soup called me and he said, what you doing, man? I said, I'm watching Les Mis. He goes, is that where they do all that singing and stuff? And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, I don't do that, man. And uh, so you may not do it. It was written like in the 1700s. So if I spoil or something like that, if I spoil it for you, you've had plenty of time to read it. But, um, but, but, but it's the story of a prisoner, one who was condemned. And he pays his time and he gets set free and he's following around in the earth and he's cold and he's hungry and he's around the downtrodden and the destitute and, and he comes upon, upon this cathedral this, this church and he goes in and there's a bishop there who loves him in spite of his mess who loves him in spite of his guilt he was a guilty criminal who, who helps him and who feeds him it's the picture of a loving father nourishing and warming and feeding a sinner in need and so you're watching this and it just feels good to watch the prisoner Jean Valjean in the, in the house of the bishop and he's being taken care of well Jean Valjean wakes up and he says I gotta get out of here and so he takes some food and he takes a bunch of stuff. And you're like, no, what are you doing? This guy just helped you. And he's sinning against the guy that just helped him. And he takes these two beautiful candlesticks that belong to the bishop. And he takes off. And they wake up and they realize the prisoner is gone. The guilty one has fled. And he has stolen from us. And the authorities catch him. And they bring him back face to face with the man who loved him and fed him. And they said, we found the prisoner and we found these on him. And he holds up the bishop's candlesticks. And you just feel the tension, what's going to happen? And the bishop says, no, I gave those to him as a gift. They are his. And at that moment, the condemned meets the righteous. The condemned eyes meets the gracious eyes. And you just see this moment that occurs. And for the rest of his life, Jean Valjean never lets go of those candlesticks. That he has them the rest of his life because they remind him of the free gift that he received. Amen? 
And there's a time when he was going to let it go. He was getting rid of all of his stuff. He wanted to put off the old man. And he was getting rid of all of his clothes and all of his identity. And he came across those candlesticks. And he said, I cannot let go of these. And Victor Hugo, at the end of the book, he writes that when the heavens were open, the light of those candlesticks shone across his face as he entered into communion with God. He received the gift Those of us who are justified by faith have received the abundance of grace and we are transplanted literally out of Adam and into Christ Jesus to reign in life now and forevermore. Amen? So I have a question. Have you received the free gift today? Dr. Libby has taught me from 2002 until today that you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And the way you get out of Adam and into Christ is you see your sin and you repent of your sin. You turn away from your old life and you put your faith, your hope, your trust in Jesus Christ on the cross. And you hear his cry on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Who deserved to be forsaken? I did. Who did God forsake? His son. And we are redeemed by his body and his blood. We are justified by faith. And now we are covered by his righteousness. Amen? That when God sees me and you, if you're in Christ, he sees you as covered with the righteousness of Jesus. Isn't that good news? So we're going to have communion today. Tony and and the, the band can come. We're going to have communion today, and we're going to literally remember the act of obedience. We're going to remember today the body broken on the cross and the blood shed on the cross. And we're going to remember that sacrifice, remember our redemption, but also be thankful in this communion that you are covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if there's someone here who has never put their faith in Christ, I'll be right here in the front. We'll have elders and staff members of our church in all the aisles, and we would love to talk with you personally about what it means to be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So the tables are open to all of those who are in Christ. Come and partake.